Quite literally anything. I mean, these the questions we got this time, we are we are all over the map this we time. We are. Like it. We are. But we love the feedback and, and the interaction that we get with our audience. So question one, gentlemen. How are we to vote on issue one? Yes. Next question. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome back to The Narrative. I'm Mike Andrews here with David Mahan and... Look who's returning this week. Aaron Bear is back and sporting some new fashion wear as he trolls David Mahan to start the the program today. David's lenses are so thick, I can't see a thing with those. Anyway, uh, but it's good to be back, man. I missed you guys. Missed the uh, the episode, but yeah, it's fun. Let Let the record show, Aaron, that we did point out last week that Two weeks ago when you were gone, you accused us of being mean to you while you were gone. We were way meaner in person to you <laughs> hey, than no, you are so, when you're out of here. Like, no we, we just want to be completely and totally clear that's about good. that. No, no, so, no, transparency is what's key. Yeah, we're that's willing good. to say the harsh thing to your face yeah, is, you. is what we learned <laughs> last week in your absence. So, mm-hmm. But speaking of you being gone, you were out in Iowa at the, yeah. at the Family Leader Summit. Uh, tell us a little bit about what was going on out there with our, our friends at the Iowa Family Leader, Bob Vanderplotz, and tons of Republican presidential candidates there for the week yeah no it was it was special and and special on a, a, a number of different fronts and um yeah w- when i came back talked to the staff about it a little bit um it was one of those things that's especially encouraging and david's gotten to go out and actually both of you guys have gotten to go out to some of the events with um some of our allies in in this movement right um a lot of folks aren't aware that ccv is in a network we're an independent organization um, you know our own board and, and financial structure, but we're we're in a network of state family policy councils, um, and also you know in a network with uh, you know Alliance Defending Freedom, focus on the family, Family Research Council, um, and w- whenever I go to one of these events with with our colleagues in these other states, first thing that always just jumps out is how encouraging it is to see the movement of the Holy Spirit through the states all over the country. Um, and just a reminder that we're not alone in this fight, that there's so many people out there um, who God has called that we that we don't even know, but was, by the grace of God, because of this network, we are aware of each other and we work together and, and share ideas. Um, and that's always the first thing that jumps out. Um, and Bob and, and we, you know, we've had Bob on the, the narrative before, their leadership summit and their organization is really... Um, one of the trailblazers in this work, and and you know a lot of the growth we've had at CCV has been because of Bob's, uh, you know even just personal mentorship and and leadership. And going to that event is just uh, uh, was was incredible, was powerful. Seeing the presidential candidates come and recognize that they need to speak to evangelical voters, Catholic and evangelical voters, um, in order to uh, you know win the the. Uh, caucuses out there. Uh, I will say, like when we did this with the uh, Senate debate uh, back two years ago, they invite Joe Biden. They invite they invited uh, Robert Kennedy, and, and he didn't come either. Um, but it was it was fascinating seeing their, those candidates, and and more than anything, just encouraging to see you know two thousand people there to wow. uh, to be engaged on the topics. So about half would, is what would show up for David Mahan. Exactly. Yes. Right. Type thing. Not, <laughs> right. Not quite that big. So. We right. all know. <laughs> yeah, would show up. Yep. No, that's right. What would you say were some of the big themes that were covered by the the candidates in general? Just the the focus of the the summit itself. Yeah. You know, I think the well, one they had Tucker Carlson uh, oh. moderate. Which, Who? Right. <laughs> and so, you know, Tucker is the most entertaining man in. Uh, politics right now, and also brilliant, right? I, I think we've 
We've talked about uh, that before, especially his speech he gave at Heritage 50 uh, earlier this year, uh, right before he was fired. Um, but, you know, the the big things that jumped out, one, well, you know, Tucker really wanted to drive home issues of Ukraine and, and things like that. So that was all fascinating hearing them talk there. But I think what, what I appreciate the most about the way they do it at the uh, family leader is they, they give the candidates... 25 minutes on stage right mm-hmm. so it's not a short you know time where you can kind of filibuster your way through so you really get to see it's less even about the questions that are asked and more uh, about how they respond and, and what what tucker does very well is press them and, and try to get them off you know, a little uncomfortable and uh and seeing that really stood out you know i thought um you know i thought ron santis did incredibly well i thought actually ohio's own vivek ramaswamy who's also been on the narrative um I thought he did. I thought he did phenomenally well. Um, you know, a, a number of the candidates. Um, you know, I, Tim Scott. Everything Tim Scott says is is great. Uh, so so really appreciated uh, a lot what he brought to the table. Um, the bottom line is uh, we're gonna have a, a really great field. President Trump wasn't there, um, which was a disappointment. Uh, Would have been good to hear from him. Uh, it's not like we have a shortage of ways to hear from him. Let's say that though, <laughs> uh, but. But yeah, I, I just thought I thought one we're I feel like we're in, in pretty good shape in terms of we had a lot of quality candidates mm-hmm. uh, in this race that are pro life that have proven records. I think one of the things too that Bob's that, that Bob's event really highlights, but we we talked about this at our Senate debate as well. Like pro lifers in particular, we have really done a great job of driving the issue forward as a as an election issue, as a primary issue, right? Um, and so. All of these candidates on stage have to come out and say they are are pro life, right? The one, or especially on the the gender issues. Now, the one candidate who was bad on the gender issues, especially uh, transgender medicine on kids, uh, Asa Hutchinson, the the uh, Arkansas governor, got torched by Tucker on stage. Like it's worth going to watch. It was it was a uh, uh, Michael Scott the Office level awkward <laughs> oh. when uh, when when Tucker was like, "So wait, why do you think it's okay for kids to be sterilized? This makes no sense." If you have a child who says, who's born a boy, I want to become a girl, he hasn't gone through puberty yet, he's say 10. Is it treatment to prevent him from going through the natural process of adolescence? How is that treatment? It, it seems not like treatment. It seems like something else. Well, you have to. Um, and he just could not. Uh, at one point, he said, well, I thought we were here to talk about issues. And Tucker's like, yeah, this is a pretty big <laughs> issue. Yeah, sterilizing kids is is kind of big. Tucker, I hope that we'll be able to talk about some issues. I know that- Well, this is one of the biggest issues in the country, and I think I would, every person in this room would agree that it is a a central issue because these are children who are being altered permanently, and you can defend that alteration, that change, if you like, but there's really no debate about whether or not it's permanent. And so I think it's fair to ask you in a calm, rational, and I very much hope polite way, why you would support that. Well, I didn't say what I supported. I said what I vetoed. And whenever you look at at children, and again, that's just been a a part of the strength of the movement that we're a part of. Really making this say, hey, you have to be clear and good on these issues if you have a hope. If you want to be a hope to win uh, an election. Well, I know it wasn't purely recreational for you to be out there, but it sounds kind of like your Disneyland. Exactly. Right, exactly. Like, that was. Uh, <laughs> 
That was it, it got really that little was. twinkle in your eye. Well, and <laughs> exactly. Right? Well, and, and and on top of that, Alistair Begg uh, spoke, uh, and pa- uh, Dr. Bill Lyle, the, the pro life doc, uh, who we should have on the narrative. Well, both those guys we should have on the narrative at some point. But um, they just. Uh, it, it is just so much fun being out there, seeing that. Um, it, I promise you, it was work because we had we had a lot of conversations about uh, about both the uh, August and November election there, but also then 2024, um, which is going to be a, a huge one for for the nation. Um, but but yeah, it was a great conversation, and uh, you know, I think I'm hoping uh, we might end up doing something like that out here pretty soon. So yeah. That doesn't sound intimidating at exactly. all. As a communications <laughs> guy who will have to put together quite a bit of messaging and marketing for that type Steph of thing. Steph will take care of it. Don't yeah. worry. That's okay. Not, okay. Exactly. We'll yeah. pawn yeah. it off on the exactly. events coordinator. Steph, love yeah. it. Love it. Well, speaking of home, let's bring it in toward Ohio a little bit. Some some big news this week with the introduction of a, a new bill from the Ohio House. It's essentially being known as the Drag Queen Ban Bill. And uh, David, I don't want Aaron to dominate the conversation as he's want to you do don't when want he's. To? What are you talking about? <laughs> So I would love to have you just kind of set the table for for what this bill is and and explain it to to the narrative audience out there. Yeah, it has been a lot of spin already on this bill. Um, Rep. Angie King and Rep. Josh Williams uh, put this together. It, basically, in, in in the words, just as the bill revised code to prohibit adult cabaret performances in locations other than adult cabarets, right? Basically, all it says is that, you know, if, if you're an adult and you want to perform, um, you know, in a way that is sexually oriented uh, or obscene even, you can do so. You just can't do so in the presence of children. Um, you, you think that would be okay, right? It's, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny. Like, what are we talking about? Like, it's just, the, the, <laughs> no, you're right. You have to laugh to not to not cry at something oh, like this. The, the that very, it's even necessary. Yeah. I know, it's exactly. No, that's, that, like this is the nature. If somebody would have shown me this bill ten years ago and been like, "Dudes, grown men that want to dress like right. strippers can't do so in front of kids," right? Like what? <laughs> I mean, I've watched the you know watched the news a little bit and and some, saw some of the coverage, but literally, you have grown men who are parading around in lipstick and dresses and uh, and basically talking about that they don't want to harm children, but nobody's saying, well, why are you guys focusing on children? Um, it's really ridiculous, but interesting to see how the media just kind of tiptoes around this. But the way that this is written, it's just, it's awesome. Uh, we, you know, we've been in communication with, with the uh, representatives on it a little bit, but there's really not a whole lot to the bill in terms of, because we already had laws about cabarets. Um, that's already been on the book. So they just expanded a little bit to, to uh, you know, kind of tweak the, the, the minor exposure piece. Um, and really, uh, the mention of drag queen is not really a big part of this bill. It's just adults who perform sexually, uh, you know, and around kids in an obscene manner. That's really all it's about. Yeah. And, and just who like, well, one, there, there's a few things here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my. My my uh, Phil Burris hat on here. My my predecessor, you know, uh, what's going to be important about a bill like this, uh, Lord willing, if and when we get it passed, um, is also going to be uh, the the prosecutors who enforce it, mm-hmm. right? So th- this is one of the big things uh, we deal with um, on legislation like this. Is it's one thing to pass a law, it's another thing to have it enforced, um, which just drives home that point of why, um, you know local elections matter so much and holding people accountable we can give them the tools to to go after these things 
but if you don't have uh, local elected officials that are that are willing to enforce yeah, we, it. We've got federal precedent that basically says that, you know, that is not covered under free speech, right? Obscenity is not covered under free mm-hmm. speech, especially as it pertains to kids. Uh, the, the encouraging thing about this is that there are 43 state reps on this bill. You know, you've got the two sponsors and 41 co-sponsors. Um, I don't know of another bill that's got that kind of support over there. Um, that, that's even more than a safe act. Let's see who's not on there. Let me see that list. Because that, that, that's, that's part of the problem. Is, and who didn't say, who, like, again, like, that's the. You got Bill Sykes on that bill. I know, right? We got to get to 50 on this thing, but. Uh, and, and and we certainly will, but just gonna bully seven more. Out nah, of them. I'm not saying we're gonna, that's not how we. I'm just saying we go look at this and have all some conversations from Buckeye Donuts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. The real problematic thing, though, David, is you said we've been in contact with state reps about this bill, and that means we've pretty much just signed on for the next expose from some local newspaper that'll, right. that'll uh, accuse us of being in cahoots with exactly right <laughs> doing of, our jobs. Of, of, <laughs> like we are lo- registered lobbyists saying this is what we do. Um, now, you know, I, I think one thing David said there, and this is going to be something we're going to deal with as we go through, is they're going to try to say, oh, well, this is free speech. Um, and and again, there there's never been and there shouldn't be um, a, an idea that your free speech gives you uh, the, the right carte blanche to expose children to uh, sexual and obscene materials, right? I mean, this is... Um, we, we're, we're huge advocates for the First Amendment here at, at CCV uh, for a wide variety of reasons, uh, but we also understand it has limitations. Um, and one of those very common sense limitations is uh, you, you can't expose kids to these things. The other thing that, that makes that jumps out to me here is, you know, as soon as this comes out, the left goes crazy uh, and, and they start, you know, oh, you're trying to enforce dress codes on people. No, 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 no. Like, you are you are telling us, like you're chanting at your rallies, we're coming for your kids, right? You're showing up at a library in the kids section as a man dressed in, you know, lingerie. Kink. There's that that's messed up. Like that that is that that's not art. That's not that's that's gross. And that's weird that you want to do that, right? And and so these are the types of things where like there's very clear lines here that what what we're talking about and what the left does and the media tries to do is oh they they, they either try to say it's not happening or they try try to say to try to muddy the water and no this is very clear what's happening here and we all know it shouldn't be happening yeah and there's even a line that we're not saying that it shouldn't happen at all we're just making that very obvious statement that this should not be happening in front of children right and and when you're target exactly. when you're targeting children as your primary audience, that's the issue. At adult cabarets should happen in cabarets, <laughs> right? Exactly. Go figure, right? And that's the uh, and again and 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 this is a great example too of uh, of Christians as American citizens, us recognizing there's proper roles of government and there's not, right? So this is us saying like, I will say I don't think these cabarets should be happening for anybody, right? Right. right. But I don't necessarily think the government should be enforcing that, right? And and that's the uh, that that's the, the the very clear line here. Where we're saying, listen, yeah, we, we we might not morally agree with this in any context, and and we want to try to convince folks and and uh, and disciple folks into understanding, hey, this is this is wrong, and so we should choose not to be a part of this. But when it comes to comes to kids then the government has an interest to get involved. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, we've covered some of the news this week. We've got some more robust discussions coming up on our program today. It's the it's the end of our season, the end of the the latest volume of the narrative because we've got to give David his contractually obligated break. He needs some Union break. <laughs> David just got to stand outside the building and smoke a cigarette for that. That's next, right. You know, That's months. right. So we're gonna ask uh, we're gonna answer a lot of your your listener questions. Uh, consider some of your feedback. We're excited for the conversation that we've got coming up, and uh, look forward to having you stick with us for that. Hey, narrative listeners, you know, Christians in the marketplace today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. Businesses are following woke capitalism, chambers of commerce are beholden to social justice, and secular activists are chipping away Christians' First Amendment rights. As Ohio's only Christian chamber of commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to cbpohio.org. That's cbpohio.org. And we're back on the narrative. Mike Andrews, Aaron Baird, David Mahan. It is time to ask us anything, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, we've got to give Aaron and David a softball right off the bat to get to get their juices flowing. And quite literally anything. I mean, these the questions we got this time, we are we are all over the map this we time. We are. Like we are. But we love the feedback and, and the interaction that we get with our audience. So question one, gentlemen. How are we to vote on issue one? Yes. Next question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's actually it's actually a two part question. Yeah. That was the first part of the question, which I knew would be an easy setup. But uh, just as far as resources available, pros and cons on issue one that that would be easy for for people to take around and, and educate others. I would just start off by recommending the episode that we did a couple weeks ago on issue one. We've gotten some great feedback on it. I feel like we covered a wide range of topics and arguments around issue one. And for people who like it in more of a conversational format, I think it's been a great resource and we've gotten so much positive feedback on it that, that I'd start there. And then I'd also just say, we've got some, some great printed materials that you could get access to on our website. And we're also looking at probably in the next couple of days, unveiling some new pages on ccv.org that are going to have more kind of a Q&A format around issue one, too. So. Yeah, there's always more to come. I, I do, Mike, um, uh, I'm glad we're starting here for a wide variety of reasons, not least of which is that this is the most important issue happening in Ohio. But um, I there is one thing in that episode, and we're going to actually go back and um, and take this out and, and put in there that we, we edited the episode uh, because um, I was I was wrong about one point that I, that needs clarified. I, I mentioned that when you know one of the the big things that we like about uh, issue one is that it's going to require signatures from all 88 counties uh, instead of just 44 counties uh, in order to make the ballot. Um, I said uh, you only need a few or one or something like that in the the episode, um, and, and that's wrong. And and I, I was mistaken when, when I said that. Uh, that you need to get the, the way it works is right now you need to get five percent of the amount of people who voted in that county in the last gubernatorial election. That's how many signatures you need to get from that from 44 out of 88 counties. This is going to make it. You need to get that reach that reach that same threshold in all 88 counties. Um, and so that is that was my mistake, and I'm I'm sorry about that. I wanted to make that clear. Um, again, 
we think that's good. If you and even if you look at the um, uh, the signatures that the abortion amendment submitted, uh, they reached that threshold in six out of eighty-eight counties. Sixty out of eighty-eight counties, uh, they got signatures in all from all eighty-eight. Uh, they reached that five percent uh, threshold in sixty out of them, um, and so again. Getting that is not an unattainable level. Um, uh, oftentimes it, it is reached, but now it's when when you say, "Hey, this is what you've got to get to." It just again makes sure that you have broad support amongst the state in order to uh, to make the ballot. Um, so again, that's my apology. We always it, when we get something wrong here, we want to make sure we correct, correct the record. We're going to correct the episode um, just so we don't have uh, wrong information out there and, and do what we can to, to be clear. And producer Vince, I'm going to need you to isolate that clip of Aaron saying I was wrong. Uh, I'm going to make that my ringtone if, if we can make that yeah, happen. Well, you know, once every, you know, few years, it's going to come back around. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Watching the news has been pretty depressing. I, I, I went to uh, well, the beauty. I've been going to a lot of churches and just about everybody I'm talking to is like, well, Dave, thanks for coming. You know, the news is saying this and you guys are saying that. Why is the news telling people to vote no? Uh, first of all, we need to be voting, yes, but I mean, the news should be, you know, kind of in that middle news, ground, right? right. Like, like, just be journalists. Tell us, you know, about the issue and let us make our own decisions. Um, but one of the things I'm seeing folks don't understand is should there be a higher threshold to amend a constitution, uh, fundamental law over general statute? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. I mean, if you look at the federal government, yes, there's a higher threshold to amend the the Constitution of the United States over just how many bills do we pass, right, mm-hmm. every year? There's only been 27 amendments to the Constitution. Um, should be the same way in our state's fundamental law. Um, the other thing that, that I'm, I'm seeing um, the media is not clarifying and those that they choose to interview is that they're saying that the citizens are losing their right to put things on the ballot. That is not true. Um, they can put things on the ballot through uh, citizen-initiated statute or citizen-initiated um, constitutional amendments. Both of those will remain. The, uh, the, the only thing that changes is raising the threshold to amend the Constitution. Um, and uh, and that, that is not being clarified. So people are scared that, that somehow they're being disempowered. Um, and it's just ridiculous. Last thing I'll say on that, uh, just that one piece that there should be a higher threshold um, is we've been putting out, you know, just through social media and just in some of our, our speaking engagements. When you look at some of our opponents, the ACLU as, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood, um, who else? The Ohio Democratic Party, the uh, the socialists, all the, the socialists, actual, the actual socialist party. Right. They're, they all require super majorities of 60 to 66 percent to uh, amend their constitution or bylaws. So that one question right there um, is, is is just, we just destroyed that. Um, and really our opponents destroyed it. Right. Yeah. And because again, they understand that when, when you're changing the foundational document, the thing that binds people together, uh, you should have broad support, right? That's that's what, what that's all about. And, and you know, one of the things I know we're kind of rehashing um, this conversation, but some points that we didn't cover in that, uh, that that I think is is really important is that you know one of the talking about what binds us together um, as Americans um, is this this recognition of if we want to have a free and just society for everyone that means everyone's going to have to give up going to have to make a little bit of a sacrifice right um, and I, I honestly I use uh, you know, freedom of religion as a as a great example of this, right? 
um, which is to say, yeah, I want the freedom to practice my religion without the government interfering, right? What that is necessarily going to mean is that other people are going to have that too, and they're going to practice religions that I think are wrong, mm-hmm. right? And and so in order for me to have that, I need to sacrifice something else, right? Um, and that's what 60% is, right? Like, yes, we are going to make it more difficult for everybody, including our side, right. to amend the Constitution, right? We, we are conceding something with 60% to say— Listen, we, we, we think it's good to make it more difficult for uh, the left and for these outside special interests to come in and pour a bunch of money in or, and try to manipulate and change our constitution. That, that means necessarily it's going to be harder for us as well, but that's a worthwhile sacrifice um, in order to have a more stable uh, uh, and secure state. And tying that back into the question about pros and cons, realistically, this issue one is pretty pretty simple there's not a lot of words behind it there's three kind of main bullet points and if you look at those bullet points you kind of determine for yourself as if it's a pro or a con is it pro or con that we're going to have to have 60 percent of the vote to change the constitution is it a pro or a con that you're going to have to get signatures from all 88 counties instead of just 44 and is it a pro or a con that there will be no cure period for the Mm -hmm. signatures yeah, to us, it, those are all pros. Those are all good things for Ohio and why we would we would recommend the yes vote, but other people may see that differently. And yeah. so from our perspective, from, from the communications director hat, if I yeah. can put that on real quick, I don't see the need to produce a pros and cons document on that because it seems pretty cut and dry that all three of those things are good. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, I, I think that's a, a great point, Mike, especially when you think about you look at the language that the the left has put forward in their abortion amendment right and they use all of this broad and uh you know vague language that the government shall not directly or indirectly burden Burden. uh a individual's right not a woman but an individual's right uh to abortion or contraception or, or reproductive freedom and the, the broad scope of that is so massive. It, it, it does take significant explanation for folks to understand. The, the language of when, when you walk into the ballot box, if you haven't already, um, which you should go right now uh, while you're listening to this podcast, um, the, the language that is in the amendment is so black and white, so, so uh, clear cut uh, on what this is doing um, that it's, again, it, it's, it's a prudential conversation, um, but I think... Uh, most folks would understand, and, and even our polling shows this, most folks understand, yeah, the Constitution should be better protected. Yeah. Let's move on to our next question. We got this one from Kurt, and he asks, if I live in an area without private schools, which is much of rural Ohio, why should I support the backpack bill? Well, so uh, again, th- this is uh, this is a question we talk about um, all the time. Um, first and foremost, uh, if you don't have the private schools in your area, this is how you get them, right? Starting up a, a private school, uh, we can tell you as, a, as an organization that has done this, it's not easy, uh, it's it's not cheap, uh, and that's a reason why so many kids only have one option of where they can send their kids to school. Um, so if you want more diverse options, and even if you, it's not necessarily that you, uh, only uh, that your kids are happy with their options. Maybe there's kids nearby who this one option isn't fitting their needs. Uh, Backpack Bill makes it possible for every kid 
to be able to ac- access more options. The, the markets, you know, th- this is one of these things that, that we've we dealt with in, in some of the debates around this that we deal with is people will say, oh, well, there's not capacity for enough kids right now. Well, yeah, because the market's not there yet, right? It, it's, it, you know, the, the and we, <laughs> uh, this isn't a good thing, that, that, but it's a, it's a, a good example of this when the, uh, the state just legalized uh, sports betting, right? Um, nobody said, oh, well, we shouldn't legalize sports betting. There's nobody doing sports betting in Ohio right now. Well, yeah, because it, it, it wasn't there. There was no way for it to exist. Um, and uh, again, it's a bad thing that that is now uh, in existence here. Um, but of course, you know, in a lot of these places, there's no school options because there's no way for the schools to be able to function. All right. I think that pretty much summed up that question. David's got nothing here. I, I'm just knocking it out. Right? No, I, I, I personally, and, and again, we homeschooled our kids. Um, but I, I hear the argument, the head in the sand argument, not to say that that's what this is, but that kind of is the first thing that comes to my mind. It, it's that, you know, I'm okay. I'm happy with this. Don't really care about what's going on with everybody else. Um, I've squared up quite a bit with folks with that mentality around the backpack. Um, and uh, and it just really frustrates me because we homeschooled our kids, but a lot of the folks in our community did not have um, they weren't as able to do that as we were. Um, my wife stayed home. I went out and worked. Um, but there are a lot of kids who are stuck in really bad schools, dangerous schools. Jeremiah 29 says that we should seek the peace and prosperity of our city. There is no peace for some of these kids in the schools that they're in. And uh, and it's just the right thing to do. It's, it's good policy. See, what, what you all just missed just then is that I could see the, the look on David's face was I've got nothing nice to say, so I'm not going to say anything at all. That's the downside of this. Adult here. Those are the times where I'm like, I want him to talk right now because <laughs> he's going to say something. He's going to poke the bear just a exactly. little bit, set yeah, him up yeah. for that. And nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. All right, next question, and I think this one, it not only brings up an interesting topic on the surface, but some kind of secondary trails that we can run down, and and we'll certainly do that as we answer it, but uh, with the potential abortion amendment, is there any discussion or concern as to how quickly or to what extent uh, Ohio high school-based healthcare clinics could potentially broaden their scope of services they're providing to minors while they're at school, and and kind of... uh, I think that's along the lines of a lot of parental rights and uh, issues that we're discussing, uh, parents' bill of rights that just passed the the state house and those types of things. So, David, what do you think on that one? I like the way they they you know in, in such a concise way summed all that up. But the answer is yes, and and we talk about that quite a bit here on the narrative as we give you feedback from folks all across the the, the state. Um, you know how they've looped in everything in the mental health, and that is the reason why they get. I mean, I'm 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 having parents contact me um, multiple times a year, saying that the first time they're hearing about their kids' gender dysphoria or whatever is when a social worker shows up to their house with a police officer. Um, they have been working with this this family's child for months in the school, providing these health care services without this parent's consent. So the answer is yes, it's already happening. The, to, the, the degree to which it will continue to happen or increase will go will go up greatly if you look at the parental rights that are being attacked in um, in this egregious amendment. Yeah, and I think th- there's a few things on that that, that need to jump out um, that we're, we're tracking here. First and foremost, I, to, to David's point that a lot of parents aren't aware of, 
is there is a, a, a major movement happening in the medical industry, in the healthcare industry, uh, to be more precise, uh, to open up clinics inside schools, right? Um, and, and again, this is uh, where we're going to get into a little bit of that, that sphere sovereignty conversation um, of government uh, starting to uh, inject itself more and more into areas that um, it probably shouldn't to some degree, right? And and they're, they're, again, their justification here is not necessarily, a, like, I, I don't want to ascribe to everyone who's doing this, like, evil motives, right? They're, they're, they're looking at kids in schools that are not going to see the doctor, that are not getting healthcare services for one reason or another. And so they're like, okay, how can we make this more accessible to these kids? Well, they start there and then it ends up where David just uh, just uh, got to. Uh, and it's one of these things we need to be aware of. And, and it's even happening um, at at some private, you know, Catholic and evangelical schools. And, and something that parents need to be aware of that, uh, that, that this is going on. It's not necessarily on its face, something that's uh, can own that that is purely nefarious or purely harmful um, but it is something we need to be aware of and the second thing about it though to 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 the broader point here uh, going back to what we were just talking about with the abortion um, amendments language um, the reality is if this amendment passes right and it says again to think about that language where it says the state shall not indirectly burden uh, individuals at right to access an abortion. It would be pretty clear that it would, you know, to, to indirectly burden is so vague and broad. It's a very straightforward legal argument to say we want to put abortions and uh, Plan B pills in schools, and any attempt to stop us from doing so would burden the individuals, i.e., minors at that school's right to access an abortion. I mean, that's. That's not a far-fetched argument, right? That that's mm-hmm. that's what their amendment would say. And so, um, the, if this thing passes, we're going to be in in all types of trouble in terms of trying to over the next you know five, ten, fifteen years, you know, wheel these things backwards. You know, I'm gonna push back a little bit on that, Aaron, because I, I do see it as nefarious when when you see the the idea on his face that that kids are struggling with depression, kids. Um, you know, have all these issues on the inner city with um, lack of food, security, things like that. We need to have more services in the school. The, on its face, that sounds great. But when you look at how the how the dollars get allocated, where those dollars go, the organizations that those dollars go to and the messages, it's like a tragedy and hope thing. Like we're going to create a tragedy with our terrible socialist mm-hmm. um um, ideologies and principles create the tragedy and then and then sell it to the public and then fund the same people who created the problem yeah. um, the, the same people who created the, the bad ideals that created the problem so yeah I, I do see it as nefarious uh, you saw it with title 10 um, you know you want to help mothers you know single moms and things like that all that money most of that money went to Planned Parenthood that was nefarious we know that that's nefarious now looking back um, you know in the 70s um, but I see this move in the same way as that was. Uh, and and David, I, I've got no argument there. I, th- I think you're I think you're 100 percent right. I think the 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 key is when you when we you consume this in the media or you consume this even through your your kids' own school, you're going to hear it framed out with 
altruistic and and yep. and good intentions and, and and even like legit problems, right? Of of kids having medical issues that aren't being met outside of all of of, of abortion and all of these other things. But again, this is one of those twofold. One, it's it's more than the the camel's nose under the tent. I mean, it, it is is full on bringing <laughs> in the child sterilizers into the, to the schools. Um, but also too, and this is. This is one of these things that is just a, a real struggle in dealing in the public policy space that, that that we're thinking through is, okay, so we have a fire burning here and we need to deal with the, 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 the consequences of the fire. But by dealing with the consequences in some de- degree, we're perpetuating it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, again, th- th- this is best seen through the, the lens of family breakdown. We've had families fall apart so for so many years right and and kids being born without married moms and dads and and all these kind of things and then there's all these consequences that have required government to grow um and then government services and government just growth generally injecting themselves into uh a a child's life to to make up to, to to fix the problem of the broken family um it just sort of perpetuates um, more and more, one, not just through curriculum and, and bad ideas being forced on kids about family formation, but also de-emphasizing the, the need and role of a stable parents to be taking your kid to the doctor or taking your kid to the dentist or giving your kid these these services. So, you know, it, it really is uh, the, the, the ongoing problem. And why, when we're dealing with any of these issues, we're... we're Whenever somebody comes out with a brand new program or a, a brand new fun way of spending money, uh, I'm always so hesitant to get on board with it because it's like, well, really, you're just trying to deal with not having dads in the homes and um, building out more government probably isn't going to be the thing that's going to fix that problem. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Aaron, just from the, the standpoint of the, the nuance and attention to detail that you have to have with these things, even from inception to implementation, because compassionately yeah we do want to see kids yeah. not go hungry and have the medical care that they need but as we've said here before elections have consequences and if you start a program with good intentions but then a party with different motives takes power then those things can kind of flip so mm-hmm. you can never really stop paying attention to what's going on and stop being engaged both in your in your school districts and certainly at the the state level and, and, and I don't I don't mean to, to blow our own horn or whatever but that that is what CCV is here for mm-hmm. um you know, we're we're not even talking about budgets, right? We're with legislation. You know, the amount of having to go through, you know, every jot and tittle of of our friends' bills that have crazy stuff and you know language in their <laughs> bill that we have to clean up. That um, this happens all the time. Happened this week. So the to to go through everybody's budgets, you know, multi million dollar budgets to figure out where the money's going who those people, who's on their board, who's on their staff, and what might be their ideologies as they implement these programs and these dollars. That is why we need a group like CCV um, that, that can put in some of that that, that footwork for everybody. Yeah, and sometimes we get the wins uh, of big policies that we get to celebrate, and other times it's a lot more behind the scenes where we just stop something bad from happening, and, yeah. and that's equally as big of a win at some point too. Let's move on to our to our next question, and I believe this is a, a momentous question in that it's the first one that we've ever had an actual voicemail that we can that we can play <laughs> as part of our as part of our broadcast. So let's uh, let's go ahead and listen to this question from Brian. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. My name is Brian of Mason, Ohio, Warren County, and 
This may not be a governmental issue at this point, but I've always wanted to ask someone to get this question answered, is when believers are between churches, between church communities, where is the best place for them to put their tithe money? I mean, we're supposed to continue to set 10% aside for the Lord, but if we're between communities, I mean, do we go ahead and send it to CCB, organizations of our of our desire, or do we continue to set that aside and perhaps give that to our new faith community? Thank you. So, Mike, I, I actually, you're, you're the only one here. Well, uh, David's kind of a pastor. He's he's half a pastor. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> you're the one here that's actually a pastor. Uh, David just likes to kick other pastors out of their pulpits. And, wow. And, uh, that's yeah. To take, answer take the response. question, yeah, but I, send I, it to I, my I, cash yeah. app, right? <laughs> Come on, now that was going to be my, you can send it to, connect with me, Mike Andrews at ctv.org. I promise that those tithes will help feed hungry children. Right, your own, right? Your own hungry children. There are four teenagers, the food bill's getting higher, so I need the help. Uh, no, but, but in due budget in the, in the Mike Andrews well, household. Well, you know, is, that's the daddy tax, yeah, as we I like gotcha. to call it. <laughs> But yeah, Mike, you're the pastor here, so where where would you start with something like this? Well, I would say I I appreciate that their that their heart is is in that and aware of the the biblical I think commandment to tithe, or that biblical generosity at least starts at a minimum of ten percent is probably the best way to put it. It's it's showing that you are stewarding what God has given you. You are not owning all that for yourself. You're trying to give back to the kingdom. And so for me, as, as I've considered this uh, with within our family and within uh, the the church setting, as I've talked to people in 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 our community, that you know certainly if you're if you would say that this is your church, you you should be giving to your church. And, and as this person points out, you might be between communities. Okay, I think that's fine. Um, I don't know that I have a strong sense of whether or not you should sort of save that back and, and be ready to invest it in a new church community. Um, each individual is going to know themselves better. I would be a little bit knowing myself personally. I would think that that seeing that um, kind of nest egg sitting there would be a little too tempting for me to, to spend before I gave it to another church. So I would think just a, as a habit, as a healthy spiritual rhythm, I would encourage finding kingdom minded ministries that you support, that you align with, that you could continue to, to give a regular monthly tithe to. And that would that would continue, I think, to fulfill that requirement that it's not so much that you're giving to a specific church, but that you're giving to the kingdom causes. And if you're if you're doing that, um, I think you're on the right track. One of us speaking to this as the resident heretic, evidently, <laughs> uh, if, if you don't mind. Um, Heresy away, sir. You know, the, the Malachi 310, uh, bring all the tithe to the storehouse, that place where you are getting fed, that place where resources are. Um, for the, for the for the person who's a member of a church, obviously that's where um, I would agree with you. Say so that goes, but when you're when you're in that in between, I don't know that the scripture is um, is is specific as to where that should go. But I do want to just to the heart of the matter of generosity. I, I will read in Matthew twenty three uh, twenty three, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, <clears throat> Aaron. <laughs> For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So does it say that the tithe is not important? Absolutely not. But when you are in that that in-between space of, of, of communities, then you look, I, I, you know, if you don't want to just kind of stock, stockpile it, you know, and be tempted like Mike to sin, um, you look look I'm to those places that, <laughs> <laughs> look to those places that are dealing uh, with, with with issues of justice with issues of mercy with issues of faithfulness and there's nothing wrong um, with being a blessing to those organizations yeah. while you're in between yeah, yeah. I, gotta, I gotta get the log out of David's eye here <laughs> this, this is the guy that literally has talked about spending money on shoelaces before oh, yeah, but I, like, all I wanted was to get some CCV branded fat laces some of y'all know what I'm talking about <laughs> We will we will work that into your next rider for, for yes. next season. How about that, David? Apparently, yeah. I do have a budget around here. That I <laughs> you better start availing yourself to that. Yeah, so. right. The I'll just the only thing again, and, and I think you guys honestly covered it well. And and it, this, I'll say this is something that my family has gone through in, in changing churches, and um, you know we we look to that that money we were tithing was always going into the kingdom, right? We we were giving it to our local church. Um, because that's where where the Lord had called us. But most importantly, it was more about it going into the kingdom. Um, th- this is something that we that I actually spend a lot of time thinking about to some degree, um, because uh, along with you know doing this podcast, uh, one of my main responsibilities with CCV is is our fundraising, right? Is is working with people and and talking about uh, the resources that the Lord has blessed them with and. Um, and how he's called them to steward them and those resources. And maybe it is giving to CCV or maybe it's giving to uh, another ministry or even giving above and beyond to their their church. Um, And, you know, I'll just commend to anybody who works in nonprofit space uh, to to go check out a ministry called Mission Increase Foundation. They do phenomenal work. Um, You know, they, they are, it's a Christian organization that comes alongside nonprofits to help uh, then think about how how you do biblical fundraising, right? How you biblically raise support for a mission and cause. And you know, as we look at CCV's growth curve from you know two employees to twenty, it was in large part because of Mission Increase Foundation. And I, I say all that wanted to give them a, a a plug and a shout out, just because the 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 fundamental thing that they helped me wrap my mind around was um, that you know, do we really believe that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? that uh, it's all God's anyways. Um, and he He doesn't need our tithe for him to accomplish his mm-hmm. mission, right? Um, our tithing and giving is uh, less about what it's going to accomplish, right? Uh, and it's especially in terms of that relationship between you and the Lord, and more about you, uh, your and our faithfulness to him, right? Um, and especially with something, there's a reason why the Bible talks so much about finances. It, it's a, a very practical book that understands uh, human nature and understands money is going to be one of the things that we struggle with the most. Um, and so this is a way that we are um, practically uh, displaying and showing our faithfulness to the Lord and showing that that's where our trust lies. Um, and so whatever you decide to do with that, wherever it goes, I think keeping that priority first of saying, I, I want to be faithful to the Lord. I want to be uh, obedient to the Lord. I want to be um, slave only to righteousness 
and not slave to money and not slave to security and not slave to this world. Um, that That is the, the heart. And, and where you give it, again, I think the Bible would tell you, give it to your local congregation. But if you're in a situation like that, I think it's to some degree less important about that in particular and more about your heart of faithfulness to God. Yeah, it's maintaining a, a spiritual discipline is yep. how I would describe it. It, it would be the yeah. same as you wouldn't want to get out of your rhythm in your prayer life or in your yep. scripture reading time or your devotional time. And you want to keep that going as well as with your financial generosity too, because yep. you cannot serve yep. both God and mammon. That's pretty That's clear right. throughout, right. throughout so, the Bible. So and, in summary, Brian, um, Go ahead and send your dollars to David's uh, <laughs> Mercy, Justice, and Faithfulness Ministry. <laughs> yeah, that that will benefit his two primary victims. Their names are Aaron and Mike. <laughs> Give us the resources we need to put up with this joker for yeah. another season. <laughs> and uh, we've reached our, our final question of the day, and that is essentially just asking for a status update on Heartbeat Bill. Um so what, where are we looking as far as getting it out of the courts and, and back to being enforced as the law of the land in Ohio? Yeah, you know, right now, this is the, uh, uh, the joy of the courts, uh, right? Um, where it's, for those who don't know, um, immediately after Dobbs came down, the, the, the decision in June of 2022 to overturn Roe v. Wade, the heartbeat bill went into effect. It was in effect for a few months. Uh, before the ACLU brought a lawsuit in state court. Um, and it moved pretty quickly through state court uh, to block the heartbeat bill. So it was it was what we would call enjoined. It's been blocked from being in effect. So abortions in Ohio are happening up until 20 weeks. Um, the, the, the case has gone up to the state Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court is considering that case. The unfortunate part of all of that is we don't know when they're going to decide, right? So they... they could put out the decision before you even listen to this podcast, or it could be another six months, right? Um, you know, I, I have a feeling we'll know before the end of the year, uh, just rhythms wise, right? That's not an intel, you know, I'm not breaking news here um, or, or anything like that, but uh, I would imagine we would know before the end of the year. Uh, and I, frankly, knowing this court, knowing the justices that we have, I feel pretty good uh, about the outcome of this case that we will prevail. Um, but it is a, uh, it, it, unfortunately, we can't know for sure when they're going to, um, when they're going to take it or when they're going to issue their decision, I should say. And, and maybe it's worth asking this follow-up question to Aaron, because we've heard with some of our other pieces of legislation, there's always that, well, this state just did something like that and their courts took it over and banned it. So why would we invest the time and, and Ohio's taxpayer resources, that type of thing, to, to defend something that's just going to end up tied up in the courts? Could, could you maybe just address that aspect of, of this type of thing, too? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's there's a lot of things to, to unpack with that. I think first and foremost, uh, this is where we have to be true believers in the separation of powers, right? Um, that to say, like, uh, we elect state lawmakers and, and governor, you know, state legislators and governors to do their best to pass laws, right? So that's what that's what we should want, right? If, if you are a state lawmaker, you should do everything you can to promote liberty, promote life, uh, promote families, right? Because um, that's, what, that's what your job is, right? The court's job is different. Second of all, though, um, a lot of times, let's say you are in a really liberal jurisdiction, either state court or federal court, um, uh, the reality is a lot of times this is something we would talk a lot about, especially in the pre uh, Dobbs days, which is, OK, we're going to have this 
you know, when I was in Arizona, uh, we were in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, and the Ninth Circuit is known as the most liberal circuit uh, in the country. And so a lot of times our job in Arizona, when we would run a bill, uh, it would be to get uh, it, to send it up and get it get it blocked. Right. It would get in. It would get uh, enjoined. And not that we would want it to, but we knew there's a good chance it would. Well, then you take a state like Ohio that's in the Sixth Circuit, which is a, a, a better circuit to be in. Um, and you would get the Sixth Circuit taking up the bill and it wouldn't be blocked. Right. Um, and so what you would then have what we would call a circuit split. Um, and that would be more that would create a, a higher likelihood that the U.S. Supreme Court uh, would take up the case. I think that's one thing that a lot of folks would be surprised to know is that, you know, the Supreme Court, you know, typically only takes up a few dozen cases. They have thousands of cases that get sent their way every year. Um, and uh, they have such discretion over what they take that they tend to only take cases uh, that come up to them uh, that are of sort of really high constitutional importance or have a circuit split. Um, and a lot of times that's obviously the same thing. Um, and so uh, that sometimes it, it was almost a strategy to say, well, it might get blocked, but we're going to do it anyway because we want to change this precedent. Um, or the bigger thing to us is we want to do the most good that we can. Uh, and this is the power that we have. And, and if we end up running into another roadblock, we'll deal with that when we get there. Good stuff. Appreciate you kind of breaking that down yeah. and giving us a roadmap ahead for well, hopefully not a roadmap ahead. We don't yeah, want we right, don't want exactly. the heartbeat building. I'd, I'd rather not deal with that. Right. You know, appeals courts or things like that. But uh, just to get a little better context for for where things are right now, and that's it as far as our questions for the day, gentlemen. It's it's been an honor and a privilege and a good time again running through these again. Uh, David, you got any questions that you want to fire off? Ask no, us no, anything. No, don't. No, no, no. No. Why no would questions. you open that can of worms? <laughs> no, that, no uh, well, because it's entertaining. Uh, We're exactly, trying to get ratings exactly. here. Anybody's hungry? We just finished grilling some hot dogs here David at CCB headquarters. <laughs> he found his real his real collar. I was like, I'm. We've, we finally found something for David to we, do here at CCB. We may have some leftovers by the time yeah. you hear this podcast. <laughs> well, it's been it's been great having this conversation with everybody. Please continue to to bring your feedback to us through those podcast reviews wherever you listen and keep reaching out to us at the narrative at ccv.org. We're going to do this again at the end of the next season. We'd love to hear your questions for that episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Narrative, presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.